You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. And if you are a regular or you're a guest, we invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. It is the first book in the New Testament, the first gospel. Uh, and, and we'll have it on the screen if you don't have a, a copy of God's Word or there's one in front of you. Or you can download the ESV app real quick, and, uh, and it's easy to find that way. We have been working our way through this gospel, and we have kind of slowed down a little bit in chapter five because we came to what's called the Sermon on the Mount, considered the greatest sermon recorded in the Bible. And so we're about four weeks, three weeks, four weeks in to this little sermon. Uh, we're going to be in here for several more weeks. We're going to move up a little faster today than we have been, but so we're still in chapter five uh, of, of Matthew. I read an article a few weeks ago. Um, it was about a, a man who was convicted of murder a couple years back, and he uh, was in prison serving a life sentence, and he had a heart attack while in prison. And uh, they take him to the hospital, and his family said, don't resuscitate him, but they ended up resuscitating him, and he had died on the table, but he came back. They, they got him back. And so after he got out of the hospital, went back to prison, he appealed his sentence, arguing, well, I fulfilled my life sentence. I died. Uh, and so now I should be set free. I've paid my debt to society. I died and I have a new life. And although the court ruled that he gets an A for creativity, uh, that he had missed the point of his sentence, the point of the law. And that is in essence what the, the Pharisees had been doing uh, for, for years and years and what Jesus is being under attack for. Remember, they created all these rules that were on top of the rules, on top of the rules, and, and then they're attacking Jesus. You don't keep our rules. And Jesus last week says, no, no, it's not that I'm anti-Old Testament. It's not that I, I'm anti-law. None of those, none of those are true. I came to what? Fulfill the law. I'm the point. It's about me, and I'm the only one who actually keeps it. And not only that, I'm the only one who rightly interprets it. And so he's pointing them back to the intent. They had the letter of the law, but they, they were missing the spirit. And so what Jesus said is, no, no, let me explain what that looks like. And so for uh, six paragraphs now, what he's going to do is after uh, kind of highlighting the principle, the law is about me, I fulfill it. He's going to show them how they missed the, the spirit of the law, even though they had the letter of the law. He's going to give six examples. And we're going to look at those uh, and kind of see what's the point. And each one's going to start off with a statement. You have heard it said. You've heard it said. He's going to quote the Old Testament law. But then he's going to make this crazy, amazing statement. But I say. But I say. And you got three options when you come to that, as C.S. Lewis has rightly pointed out. You can think he's a loony bin. Who is he to say this? Or you can think he's a liar, that he is the devil himself because he's pulling people away. Or you can acknowledge him as Lord and the master the one who gave us the word, the one who inspired the scripture, and thus the one who is the only one who rightly can tell us what it means. And that's where we land, and that's what we're gonna see. And so as his followers, when Jesus says this, when he says, but I say, we ought to be like, okay, we ought to lean in. Because God is going to be speaking and telling us, this is what I say, this is what I'm asking, this is what I want, this is the intent. And he's gonna tell us, hey, this is what kingdom living looks like. Right, this is what it looks like for my followers. And so we're going to look at the first four of those six today, and then next week we'll unpack the last two. You say, why don't you do three and three? The honest answer, Clint didn't want to deal with these. Since, uh, it's, uh, selling them out, that's all right, okay? That's the honest answer. I'm, not, I'm telling the truth, speaking the truth in love, all right? So I'm going to give them the first four, 
And then he's going to come back and unpack the last two, which kind of relate to each other actually real well. So it'll be a, a, a nice way to wrap this up. Uh, so where we've been so far in the sermon, Jesus started the sermon saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Unless you recognize your brokenness, you, you're not going to get anything I'm saying. And he talked about what the blessed life looks like. And then he talked about how his followers are to be influencers, like salt and light. And last week we saw, and I, he says, I'm the fulfillment of the law. The law is about me. I'm the only one who keeps it. And I'm the only one who's, who kind of can tell you what it really is about. This is the intent. This is the spirit of the law. So he's going to jump into these four examples today. Let me start with reading the first one and we'll unpack it. Let me just up front. It's heavy. Okay. But the point, what I want you to keep in the back of your mind is two things. Number one, this is God revealing what he wants from his people. So that should be of interest to us. But secondly, remember the point of the law is to show you, you can't do it. And so what this is, when you, when you hear how Jesus is going to up the ante here, it should put you not into, oh, woe is me. It should put you in a place of dependence. I need a savior. This is why we draw close to God. This is why we need Jesus because we can't do it. Okay. So let me read the first one. He said, you have heard it said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and, there, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So he starts off what we would think would be an easy one. You have heard it said, thou shall not murder. Very Charleston Heston, right? Thou shall not murder. And all all of us are like, all right, point one, I don't have to listen to, honey. I'm good here. No Ted Bundy's in the room that we know about, right? Okay. So yeah, on the surface, because we think about external, right? That's, that's where we go. Thou uh, shalt not murder. And the payment for murder under the Old Testament law was what? If you premeditated murder someone, your life is forfeited. It's a death penalty. Highest penalty you have. And I know some of you are like, oh, that's, God is so harsh. Why would he do that? It's not that God is harsh. The reason why the penalty for murder is death is not because God is harsh. It's because the value of life is so precious. Because you and I are made in the image of God, male and female, in the image of God. Our culture values people based on uh, what race they are or what color they are or how much money they have or what ability they have or how much, how much you can give back. That's where our value system is based. God says, that's, none of that I care about. You are made in the image of God Almighty and thus you have inherent value, period, end of story. So if you take something that I value, then it costs you your life. That's the point. And that's why it was such a high penalty. But again, their response is going to be like ours, of course. Yeah, no doubt. Right? Let's move on to the next one, right? Because I'm not guilty of this. But here's where Jesus ups the ante. But I say, everyone who is angry with his brother is liable. Same word, guilty. Everyone who, who insults his brother, guilty. Everyone who says, you fool, guilty, right? Guilty. And so as the people of God were like, ooh, all God's people said, not amen. 
because the first server said, amen. I'm like, are you even listening to what I'm saying here? <laughs> They're like, I'm like, it's just so programmed, you're in the South. All God's people said, amen. No, all God's people said, uh-oh. Because what Jesus has done here, he says, it's not the external, because that's where we go. Oh, if you're not you know, an ax murderer, you're not Friday the 13th, you're innocent. He says, no, 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 I'm looking at the heart. Because that's where murder starts. It starts in the heart. It starts with hurting people. People who are what? Made in God's image. That's what it's come back to. And so here's the first idea and takeaway. Here's the intent of the law, that anger and hurting people matter to God. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. And God, y'all, he takes it serious. He takes it serious. Anger, losing your mind, letting them have it, is a serious offense. He says, guilty. Because God looks at the heart. This is why Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, anger is one of those respectable sins. Because we all know that, okay, anger is not great, but it's not as bad as fill in the blank, right? It's not as bad as it's okay because it's not this. There's a reason why Jesus hits this one first. It's significant enough for him to say, no, 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 this is, this is big. How you treat people is big. And anger is one of those things, it's hard to define. I mean, how do you define anger? But you know it when you have it, and you know it when someone's angry at you, right? It's clear. It's evident. And it's serious. He says, this is not anger. This kind of anger is not fitting for the kingdom. And here's, here's where I know some of you have already gone. Because you've been in church long enough. And you're like, yeah, but I know there's a verse, Bill. I got me a verse. Be angry and do not sin. I got my trump card. Jesus was angry, right? Some of you already went there. Jesus was angry. What about Jesus? He didn't sin and he was angry. This is true. There are some times when Jesus was angry and yet he never sinned. So that's just my anger. I'm just like Jesus, all right? Well, why, then then you have to explain then why was Jesus angry? If you look at the text, the instances when Jesus was angry, what was Jesus angry about? So one of them found in Mark 3, and it's a Sabbath day, and there's a man with a withered hand, which would have been huge in that day, because there's no disability. There's no, this, is, this man has to live as a beggar because he can't work. And Jesus looks over at the Pharisees and looks at this guy, and he says, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful for me to do good on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees are, hush, they won't say anything. And it says Jesus was grieved, and he was angry at their hardness of heart because they care more about their rules than this guy who was made in the image of God. So Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry when he flips the tables in the temple. Everyone goes, oh, Jesus flipped the tables. He went all Old Testament on them and started flipping tables and whipping Indiana Jones and God, yeah, it was awesome. Why did Jesus do that? Because what was going on, remember, an Old Testament saint had to go to the tabernacle or temple three times a year on the big feast. And when they would do that, they would offer sacrifices. And if you lived up in Nazareth or Capernaum or someplace far away, you're not going to carry a goat that far. You don't got a minivan where you can throw the goat in the back, honey. Your plan would be, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem and I'll just buy a, a sacrifice there. Well, so when they got there, these, these people in the tabernacle or temple, they had raised the prices, man. It was like inflation, Three, four, five times the normal average price of the lamb. They're making money on people's worship and obedience. 
And so it's not that, that Jesus is anti-people selling lambs. It's anti-inflation, anti-tacking on fees and taking advantage of people who are just there to worship. And they're taking God's name and the worship of God and they're making it about money. So he's angry. Where do you got Nehemiah in the Old Testament? There's a great passage about Nehemiah who goes all crazy, starts ripping out beards and pulling hair and cussing guys and beating them. You're like, yeah, we need some of that in the church today. But why does Nehemiah do that? Because the people, remember they were exiled and they finally got back in the land and they finally got the walls of Jerusalem built so they could finally start building the temple again. And the reason they were exiled is because they started intermarrying of foreign wives and pagan wives and Baal worshipers. And it just kind of, the whole country got pulled aside to the disobeying the law. And they're finally back in the land and they run right back to it again. And Nehemiah is like, are y'all crazy? And so he's angry. Why? Because the people of God are rebelling against God. So what you see is these cases of righteous anger it really has nothing to do with, with us. It's, a, it's about God's name. It's about God's reputation. It's about his holiness. It's about injustice. It's about false worship and manipulating truth. When Jesus was personally hurt, when people wounded him, did he, did he lash out in anger? No, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He did nothing when it was about him. But when it's about God's name, his reputation, that's when there was a righteous anger. And let's be honest, 99.632% of our anger ain't got nothing to do with the name of God. It has everything to do with, you have 13 items in the less than 10 item checkout. As I was sitting to turn left on Duran and you're on your phone checking your Instagram because you're so impatient and then I missed the left turn and I got to wait another four minutes, right? Get off your phone in the car, people, please. <laughs> or I told you to stop playing at the dinner table and then you were playing and you spilled the milk and now you're mad. Or I, you got me the wrong size or you forgot to do this. You didn't pick this up at the store. It's always about us. An inconvenience to us, what was done to us, what should have been done to us. That is where most of our anger comes from, correct? And that's what he says is, no, 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 we're not talking about that. That is guilty. Why? Because you don't treat that person like that. You don't call him that name. You don't say that about that person. Why? They are made in my image and they have value. They are special to me. That's why he's serious. And we need to start in the church not just focusing on the big sins. We need to start thinking about these because the half-brother of Jesus, James, he says this. Hey, what's your cause of fights? Why are y'all fighting? Why is your marriage, why are you fighting so much in your marriage? Why are you fighting so much with your kids? Why are you fighting with your boss? Why are you fighting? Why fight? He says this. It's, it's your passions. It's about you. It's warring in you. You desire, you do not have, so you do what? Murder. He's using the language of Jesus here. You, you're slaying people all over the place. It's not physical, it's spiritual. You're slaying people. You, you gotta, it's like Call of Duty 7 at your office. It's just a line of corpse because of your way you use your mouth. He says, you, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, but you do not ask. He says earlier in chapter three, he says, you use your mouth and you bless God and you sing the songs and you tithe and you offer. God doesn't delight in your sacrifices and your money. How do you treat people? He said, you don't use your mouth to bless God and then curse men who are made in his likeness. It's the same idea. It ought not to be. That's the thing. Because anger is serious. It's serious. It gives Satan a foothold. Ephesians 4 says, be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Why? You give Satan a foothold in your life. 
You're giving him an opportunity to just kind of sneak in there and creep in and make it worse. God tells Cain in Genesis 4 when he's angry because God doesn't accept his offering and he accepts Abel's, he says, man, you gotta, you gotta get a hold of this. Sin is crossing at your door. You must master it. What happens? It, he doesn't and he ends up killing his brother. Why? Because there's anger. It starts in his soul. And then he kills his brother. Hebrews 1 says, it leads to other sins. He says, be, be sure that you don't obtain the grace of God, that, that, that a root of bitterness spring up. Because if you continue in that path and you're continually angry and continually angry and continually angry, you're just gonna be bitter. You're gonna be the angry, you're gonna be the stereotype. The 75-year-old angry, grumpy man. And here's, here's why that should be crazy to us. Because that's the stereotype, right? Oh, grandpa's just grumpy. He didn't get his nap and his coffee. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've been walking with Jesus 30, 40 years, when you're 75, the opposite should be true. You shouldn't be grumpy old man. You should be like the Christian Santa Claus because you're that much closer to glory and you're that much more like Jesus. And if you find yourself going the other way, there's, there's a problem. So what's the problem? You've, you've somewhere validated or said, oh, anger's not a big deal. I'm not killing anybody. Jesus says you are. Jesus says you are, right? And so we need to take it seriously. And ultimately, it, 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 think about what anger does. When you see the person lose their mind at the JV baseball game or honking, you got the little Christian fish in their car and they're honking and they're this and they're that, what do you think? If you're a non-Christian, if your boss is a Christian, invites you to church every Easter, but every time you make the smallest mistake, he lights you up. What do you think? I don't, I don't want nothing to do with that Christianity. If that's what Christianity is, it's not for me. So it's serious. And so Jesus' application is this. How do you deal with this? If you find yourself this morning, and, and look, the point is not to make you feel guilty because everybody here has done this. Me, done this. This week, done this. Some of it extreme, some of it maybe not as extreme, but we're all guilty. That's, that's not the point, but how do you deal with it? He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave it there. Now this is, you know, this is a little bit foreign to us. Remember, the altar for them was in the temple, right? So we did Exodus back in the spring and, and remember we kind of showed you this picture. This is the bronze altar. It's the first thing in the tabernacle. They had one of these in the temple. There's one of them in all Jerusalem. And so you are required to go up there three times a year and offer your sacrifice for atonement of sin. And so if you think about this now, think about you live in Nazareth or Galilee or Smyrna and you're days away from Jerusalem. I mean, it's just a week journey. And you get to the altar. And then when you get to Jerusalem, there's thousands of other people around. Thousands. And you're, you're number 700 in line. You're in line, you're like, man, this is like TJ Maxx on a Saturday. This is awful. I'm going to be here forever. Right? And you're just waiting in line, and you got your lamb, and you're waiting. And finally, it's your turn. Finally. And you remember, oh, man, I got in a fight with my wife before I left. I never said I was sorry. I got that bill that I was supposed to pay and that guy is mad at me and I owe him money. He's mad. I did this, I said this. Jesus says, when you have gone all the way there and you remember that, leave the goat and go deal with that first. See, that's dramatic. That's big. 
Because what his point is, is I don't care about your ties and your, I don't delight in sacrifice, but I delight in how you treat others. Our horizontal relationships matter and they impact our vertical relationship with God. This is why the greatest commandment is what? Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't separate those two. You can't say, I love God, but I hate that guy. Or I love that guy, but I'm not a big fan of God. No, they are tied. And Jesus says, deal with this before you deal with this. That's how significant it is to him. That's how important it is. It matters because people matter. Why? Because they're made in his image. And then he says, do it with urgency too. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. While you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hang you over to the judge. And the idea is this, just do it. It's, it's important. Do it now. Do it urgently. You don't want where it goes. And so the encouragement to you this morning is, is there anybody out there that you need to go to today? Maybe it was in the minivan on the way over. You can silently nudge. This two taps means I love you. I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe it's calling someone. Maybe it's an employee that you kind of were harsh to and you need to go back to them. Do you have enough humility to do that? Right? And that, that's the encouragement, right? Maybe for some of you, you, you left the church prior to this and this is where you're worshiping now and you just didn't leave it real well. And maybe you need to go back and say, you know what, we're, I didn't do that well, I'm sorry. I never called you back, I never told you why we left. I, I don't know what it is for you. But Jesus said, hey, serious. Deal with it. Deal with it, right? Deal with it now. Because how you treat people, what you t- how you speak to people, it matters. Because these people are made in God's image. That's the intent. All right, now that we all feel guilty, let's move on to something else. Verse 27. You've heard it said of old, right? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. This is right out of the Big Ten. You should not commit adultery. But I say, everyone who looks at a woman to lustful intent has already committed adultery. And so the commandment is clear. Do not commit adultery. This was a serious offense under the Old Testament law. Again, it was a death, of death sentence. This is why when Mary is found with child, it is significant. Because under the Old Testament law, this was a, this was a punishable by death offense. Because it's serious. And these, again, these people here, hearing that, they've been like, amen. I mean, we tried to stone that woman, but you stopped us, Jesus, right? Remember you said, whoever says in sin, cast the first stone. But this is what we believe, amen? And even in our culture, even though the stigma is lessened a little bit, there's still that, I can't believe that guy left his wife and did that. I can't believe that lady left her family. There's still that. But we focus mostly on the external. And she said, I'm not just talking about the external. Everyone who looks when there's intent in the heart, look at the, the word already. He's already, circle it, committed adultery in his heart. Because it starts where? In the heart. Right? The thought life, the playing around in your mind, right? Guilty. Mark 7, Jesus says, everything that nasty that defiles you comes out of your heart. Immorality, adultery, envy, covetousness, slander, gossip. It's all from the heart. That's where it is. He says, how's your heart? And and I've said this before. I think it's a helpful reminder. All sin is sin. All sin is sin, all sin is wickedness. But there's certain sins that have specific sets of consequences that impact us here more than others. This is one of them, y'all. It just is. What the enemy has done is he's taken something good, sexual intimacy, that God created for your pleasure, for your good, for oneness, 
and he has twisted it and turned it and he has turned it into something that destroys. And then he says, hey, God is keeping you from the best and we have bought it hook, line and sinker in the church. And it's not that God is trying to keep us from what is good, he's trying to protect us what destroys. So adultery, immorality, all these things are the same thing. It's all lumped together. Adultery, anything illicit outside the, the context of a covenant of marriage between one man and one woman, anything. Friends with benefits, anything. A little flirting here, a little internet there, a little trashy TV there, a little immodesty over here. All this is lumped in because it's a heart issue. I want to be seen. I want to feel good. I want to, whatever. Your imagination, and it starts in the heart. This is what happened with David. David sees Bathsheba, then he inquires about Bathsheba, and then he takes Bathsheba. Adam and Eve with the fruit, not lust, but it's the same idea. They saw it, they desired it, they took it. Starts in the heart. Starts in the heart. You can't, you can't help always what you see, but you can, you can do something about what you see when you see it. And, and at that moment, that's when you gotta start, you gotta start thinking. What's, am I gonna bounce that image? Am I gonna uh, kind of fantasize about that? What, what am I going to do in my heart? Because you can't avoid the look, but you can avoid what comes after that. So Jesus says this. This is the standard. What's going on in your heart? Here's how you handle it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members, your whole body, going to hell. What is he saying here? He's not talking self-mutilation. He's not, this is not a literal interpretation. All right, because if that was the case, we would be a bunch of pirates in church. Got a bunch of eye patches and hooks. There's no greeting time, which makes some of you happy, obviously, but because we all have hooks and eye patches, so we can't see nothing, right? That's not the point. He's speaking metaphorically here, but what he's saying is ultimately this. You need to get radical with your sin. You need to get radical with it, right? Because a blind person can still struggle with lust because it's a heart issue. So how do we deal with the heart? You can never eliminate all temptation. You just can't. Even if you went and lived in a cave as a monk, you still have your heart, right? You cannot avoid all temptation, but you can avoid much of it. And if you know that you struggle in this area, you can avoid it and you can cut it off if it's causing you to struggle. You can pluck it out if it's causing you to struggle, all right? And that's what he's saying. If that's, if that's your trigger, if that's your issue, it is not wise if you are an alcoholic to go to Wild Wings on Thursday night for free bucket of beer night or whatever. I don't know what they have, but I'm sure they have something. It's not wise. Is it sin for someone to go to Wild Wings? No. Is it good for you, an alcoholic, to be there on dollar draft night? No. So you cut it off. If you struggle with gluttony, don't go to the Golden Corral. Stay away from the chocolate fountain. Go to Clean Eats or something else. No one likes that food anyway. It's rabbit food. Just kidding. Some people do. Just not me. If you struggle with lust, then don't go to Miami during spring break. Then get rid of open access Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, all those things. Because you can't handle it. Okay, that's the idea. Get radical 
with it. With your, if, you have a, if you have a struggle with lust and you have a phone that is password protected and it's only you have access and there's no software to protect you, that is foolish. You are not cutting your right hand off. And let me just encourage parents. It's not in the text, but I'm going to say it anyway. Please don't give your middle schooler a phone with open access to the world's internet. Please. I'm begging you. Because you are giving them access to the pornography of the universe. And it's right there in the palm of their hands. And they are smarter than you because you're used to the zenith where you're turning the knobs. They can find stuff. There is ways, I'm telling you, if they have to have a phone, shut it down. No app store, no apps, texting only. And even that, they can get into trouble. I'm just telling you, be engaged. And there's no seventh grader in the world. You as a 29-year-old aren't strong enough to face lust. You think your 13-year-old can handle it? If you give them a whole box of Fruit Loops, they'll eat it in three minutes. They're not smart enough to handle it. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. We're setting our kids up to fail with that. And the world is saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. This is who it is, this is okay. Don't be foolish. Don't set your children up to fail. That's not in the sermon, but I'm just, I'm in the text, but I'm just telling you. Can't eliminate all temptation, but you can certainly, you can certainly avoid a lot of it. You can cut your right hand off. And, And the image of cutting your right hand off, think about that. Is that a pleasurable thing? That... That image, plucking your eye out. Here, where's the, where's the Phillips head, honey? I mean, it's, it's not a pleasurable idea. That is the point. Some of us, I think, we're, we're mistaken when we think, well, this should be easy. You think it'd be easy to pluck your eye out? You go, don't try it, but I mean, no. It's gonna hurt. You think it's easy to saw your, your right hand off? No, that is the point. That's dealing radically. See, if you are getting your life from this issue, pornography, you're getting that dopamine hit, you're getting a false uh, intimacy, alcohol, food, gambling, whatever it is, whatever your idol, your addiction, your phone, you cut it off, it hurts. It just does. Because you've been getting life from this thing and now it's death. And there has been a death. And it's supposed to be. That's why Paul says, put the death that was his fleshly in you. There is a death. And at first it feels like death, but that's because it's been a false life for you. And it's gonna be hard, but that's okay. It's better, he says, to do that than the fires of hell. And he's using hyperbole. He's not saying you're gonna go to hell if you sin. That's not his point. His point is it's better to suffer now than to suffer later, right? So deal with it harshly. And that's, that's hard. But, but some of you, you might have some challenging decisions, some cutting of right hands and eyes out, and it might mean you're breaking up with old boy. And I know he you know, has a good shoe, shoe game and, and looks good in skinny jeans, but he is not healthy for you. And you need to, you need to break that off, right? Why? Because you, you're, you've, all you do is fail in this area. And you've tried all the rules. Well, we're not going to be together alone at night on the couch after 10 o'clock, blah, 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 blah. And the rules last for three whole days. And then you're right back in it again. And the solution is not more rules and more rules, more rules. The solution is cut it off right now. That's just the way it is. Some of you, you've been justifying living together. Oh, we know. And it might be hard because it's gonna, you're going to have to live on grandma's couch for about six months to the wedding. That's what you do. 
because you're living in immorality and you need to do it. That's what Jesus is saying. That's radical. Some of you, you may need to go to the flip phone. I, if you lived in 2004, you remember, flip phone was where it was at. So let's get back to 2004. That thing was the bomb back there. The razor, remember that thing? It was like Star Trek, like, woo, I'm cool. You can't handle the iPhone. You can't handle it. And that's okay. What's not okay is you thinking you can handle it and continue to struggle and live in sin. So go back to the flip phone. It's okay. I promise you, you won't get lost. I know you're like, I need the maps. If you, can, if you don't know your way around Savannah by now, then you need to go to, you need to live, move to Metter or something, okay? You don't need it that bad. It's better to get the flip phone than to struggle with sin like this. Some of you, you might need, this is dramatic, but you might need a new job because you cannot stop going by so-and-so's desk every day a little bit longer, lingering, sitting by the coffee machine, a few extra texts a day, maybe a hug, and it's, it's, it's going the wrong way. And you need to get a new job. Like, I don't know if I can do that. Well, what's better? He says, cut your right hand off, right? Flee. This is the only sin in the Bible that God says, flee. Flee, and you know what fleeing is, right? Fleeing is not a leisurely jog down the street. Fleeing is Forrest Gump. That's fleeing. Run the opposite direction because the effects of this sin, if it's played out, read Proverbs 5. The adulteress, her lips are sweet like honey and you end up with an arrow in your liver. That's where it ends up. It's not overnight. It's a slow thing. Singles, I'm just telling you. The devastating effects on your future marriage when you compromise in this area, don't do it. Guard your heart. Pay attention. Married folks, guard your marriage. I'm just telling you, this is what Jesus' point is. Deal radically with sin. And so if there's an area you need to deal radically, let's get serious. Let's see some pirates next week. I don't care. Wear a patch. We'll do it. Whatever it takes. That's what Jesus is saying. All right, now that we really feel well, let's move on to the next one. You see why Clint gave this to me. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is a heavy one. And, and the church has failed miserably at, at folks whose marriages are broken up. We've treated y'all like second-class citizens and we've made you feel like this is the unforgivable sin. It is none of those things. You need to know that. You are loved by God. If you have turned from your sin, your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. You are not a second-class citizen. And this is some of your story, probably about 20 to 25% of our church. This is your story. So you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Your guilt has been forgiven. But what I, and, and, and we're gonna hit this heavier in chapter 19, so I'll wait for the, the what ifs and the whys and all this thing. Here's, here's Jesus's point. Here's what was going on in that day. They were taking Deuteronomy 24, which is a, obscure passage that says if a man divorces his wife for, for indecency and then she gets remarried and that guy dies, she can't remarry the first wife, first husband. It's this obscure, very narrow rule. And, and, and it's not that God was pro-divorce and pro-marriage is breaking up. He was protecting, in essence, the women of the culture because if a lady's husband says, you're out, she can't just go down and get a job. It's not a culture for that. She's got to get remarried. And so God is writing uh, regulations to protect these women because of the hardness of people's hearts. 
But what was going on in Jesus's day was even this tenfold. So, so you had all these rabbis who were debating, well, Deuteronomy 24 says, if, if he finds any indecency in her, he can write her a certificate of divorce. What does indecency mean? And you had guys saying, well, if she, cook, she burns the toast, that's indecent, you can, you can drop her. If she snores, she's late all the time to church, mm-hmm. you can drop her, right? You can do, indecency meant anything. And so there's all this debate. And so and they're taking an obscure law that was meant to protect the ladies, and now they're giving excuses with Jesus' name on it, with the God card. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And, and, and that's what he's talking about here. He said, no, no, unless there's been immorality, if you, make her, if you give her a certificate of divorce, you are making her be an adulteress. Why? Because she's got to get remarried because she can't get a job. She's got to provide. And then if you go and marry that woman who's divorced, you've done the same thing. And again, it's not, the intent is not, oh, let's all feel guilty. Here's the point. Here's what he's saying. We are to honor marriage because God honors marriage. And we'll get into the what ifs and the who's and the why's later when we get into 19. So you'll have to wait a couple months. But if, if you study marriage in the Bible, in chapter 19, the, the Pharisees come up and say, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? And he says, what does it say in, from the beginning? He made male and female in his own image. And he says, therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and he clings to his wife and the two become one. What God then brought together, let no man separate. And then they said, why? Why did Moses say they could get a certificate of divorce? He says, because y'all are knuckleheads with hard hearts. That's why. That's not the way it was from the beginning. And so we as his people, we want to get back to the intent. So why is it so significant? Because marriage, get this, if you get nothing else, marriage is involves you, but it ultimately is not about you. I always ask couples when I do premarital, why do you want to get married? Oh, I love him so much. He's the best man in the world. I'm like, that's not a great reason. Because you think he's great now, just wait six months from now. You're going to realize how great he's not. Marriage involves you, but it is not about you. And there's multiple purposes in the Bible with the purpose of marriage. One of them is oneness. Marriage is about oneness, physically, spiritually, oneness. And why it's about oneness is because God is one. We have one God, but yet God is one and yet he is diverse. There is one God, three distinct persons in the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. Each person's fully God, yet there is one God. And marriage is a picture of the Godhead and the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, where there is one, but there is diversity. What do you have in marriage? Male, female, diversity, but he says they become one. Not one person, but there's a spiritual oneness that your marriage is supposed to reflect the oneness of the Godhead because you're made in his image. Marriage is, not, is about that. Marriage is about the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he quotes this Genesis verse, a man leaves his father and mother, clings to his wife, they become one. This mystery is profound. I am saying it refers to Jesus and the church. So let the, the wife Respect your husband, let the husband love his wife. Your marriage is supposed to be a walking picture of the gospel. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives like Jesus loved the church. Ladies, you're supposed to respect your husbands as the church does Jesus. And, and as you do that out there, it is a proclamation of the gospel. That's the point. That's why he created marriage. And then the third kind of very basic, but yet uh, obvious purpose of marriage is to raise children, is to have children, be fruitful and fill the earth, right? What does... What does divorce do to oneness? What does divorce do to the picture of Jesus in his church? It says Jesus leaves his church. It says the church leaves Jesus. What does divorce do to kids? It blows all three of them up, which is why he says the intent was till death do you part, right? That's the goal. 
That's the, that is the point. And we'll, we'll deep dive in this later. Um, but the point is this for us. We honor marriage. And so we don't let anything come between oneness. Because divorce, y'all, it is, a, it is something that doesn't start overnight. It's not an idea that just pops up. Oh, okay. I mean, it can't. I mean, you stood before the, the pastor 11 years ago thinking this was the greatest person in the world. How 11 years later do you think it's Satan incarnate? How does that happen? Because slowly your heart hardens. Bitterness, unforgiveness, I'm not happy, buying lies, and that's where we go if we're not guarding our heart. So if there's things in your, in your marriage that are breaking oneness up, let's get them, let's deal with them. If there's some sin, some hidden sin that's down the road gonna bring destruction, let's deal with it now, right? Some, some unforgiveness, some bitterness, some prioritizing everything else besides my marriage, my kids over my marriage, my job over my marriage, my retirement over my marriage, my golf game over my marriage. We need to deal with that now because it's the slow drip and it starts in the heart. It takes humility, repentance, sacrifice. Not not in the new person. But that's the point. We honor our marriages. No perfect marriages, right? No perfect people, but that's his point. And then here's the last one. This is the easiest one. Take a breath. Again, you have heard it said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for that is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And oaths aren't big for us, but they were big for them. And they had these formulas of which oaths counted and which didn't. So if you use the name Lord, Elohim, Adonai, then you had to, it's like a student loan. You, you can't get out of that. But you did all these other things. If I do, well, I'm swearing by Jerusalem. Ooh, you're just swearing. If it was on Jerusalem or towards Jerusalem, you have to keep it. But if it's by Jerusalem, oh, I don't have to keep it. If it's by the altar, not the sacrifice of the altar. And it was all this word. It was all the, well, it depends on what the word is means, right? Now, it's all this playing around with words. And Jesus says, look, it's not the oaths themselves are bad. God swears an oath by himself in Hebrews. You know, Paul says, I, I, God is my witness. It's not the oaths in itself they are bad. His point is, what's the point of an oath? That you would do something. Well, then just do it. That's the point. If you say yes, mean it. If you say no, mean it. Just do what you say. That's the intent. Be people of your word. If you say the check's in the mail, it better be in the mail. If you say you're gonna volunteer for something, even if you don't feel like it, show up. If you say, hey, let's hang out Friday night, don't, oh, I got a better offer, I'm not gonna call that person. No, you said it, do it. You, say, you tell your wife you're gonna take out the trash, take out the trash. You say you're gonna walk the dog, walk the dog. You tell your parents, I'm gonna be home by 11.30, be home by 11.30. Just make your yes, yes, and your no, no. If you're not, then just say anything. And some of you need to stop being such people pleasers and just say no. It's okay. It's okay to say, I can't do that. No, I'm sorry. Don't say yes and then let someone down. Just say no. Not say no to everything, but if you can't do it, then don't do it. Don't exaggerate. Don't play with words. Don't be Jedi mind trick. Well, Darth Vader's not really your dad, Luke. He's just, no, just, he's your dad. He's bad, okay? Just tell the truth. That's the point. And I'm not saying spoil all the surprise birthday parties. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, just so you know, next Thursday night, we're gonna surprise you, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if the, you know, someone says, oh, does this make me look fat? Don't say, oh, absolutely it does. Oh, yeah. All right, I mean, be tactful. But the point is this, the truth matters. The truth matters. 
And everyone has that person in their life that you know if something happens, I can call that person. Dad, your boss, your friend. You be that person. That's the point. You be the person that says, I'm gonna get it done, it's gonna be done right. Boom. That's your yes and yes, your no. Because the truth matters. Matters to the people of God. Why should it matter? Because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Right? Because Jesus said last week, my word is so true down to the dotted I and the, and the cross T, it will be accomplished. And if that's how our God is, then as his followers and his ambassadors, I'll be that way with us. Make your yes, yes. And again, coming to this, you're like, do you see now why it's impossible to keep the law? <laughs> do you see? It's not just about wielding an ax. It's so much more, which should make us say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Because I, you know, wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We say that. Do you realize how short we are falling now that you see just four of the laws? Who can keep the law? That is the point. It's to drive you to the Savior. The one who says, okay, now, by the way, I've given you a new heart. A new heart that can do some of these things. Not perfectly. I've given you my spirit so that you will not walk by the flesh, but you will walk by the spirit. So that when you feel that anger going up, you, can, you have the ability now because my spirit's in you. To, it's just 12 items in the 10 item. I'll pop their tires later, Okay. It's just three minutes longer on Duran. It's not a big deal. It's just spilled milk. No one cries over spilled milk. It's just, right, that we can guard our marriage because it's about God. That we can, that we can say, yes, I'm gonna do this, or no, I'm not, and we can keep our word. Right? So this is what he's done for us by giving us his spirit. And when we fail, we have a redeemer who didn't. And we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us and cleanse us for all unrighteousness. Because we have one who is the satisfying, not the propitiation for our sins. That's the point. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you're like, I'm a good person, I keep the 10 commandments. I hope you see today that you do not keep the 10 commandments. But that's okay. Because the 10 commandments were to point you to the one who did keep them perfectly, Jesus of Nazareth, the savior, the God of the universe. And if you put your faith in him, it's not about you now performing, it's about what he has done for you as your substitute, as your sacrifice in your place. Let me pray. We'll reflect a little bit as we sing on his mercy towards us. And look, if God has spoken to you through his word this morning, do it. Don't wait. If there needs to be an apology, if there needs to be a cutting of a right hand off, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's, that's what God calls us to do as his followers. So let me pray. You guys can stand and we'll sing. Thank you, God, for loving us even though we fall far short of your glory. I pray uh, just for our church that these, these truths wouldn't just be something we, oh yeah, we hear them, that we'd be doers of your word. Just taking small steps of obedience even today, uh, becoming more like you. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us. Thank you for your mercy and grace towards us so that we cannot lose hope. Uh, that we cannot grow weary of doing good. It's in Christ's name I pray.